Texas Global, sparking innovative thoughts. The Near Future Podcast, in partnership with Texas and SDGX. Welcome back, everybody, to the Near Future Podcast, where we are really discussing a lot about what's going to be happening over the next five to 10 years, where it's got sometimes a technology angle, certainly a lot around policy sustainability, some of the complex issues that we're facing. And today we've got Leona Kelly in to have a bit of a discussion around sort of the future of sustainable investment and what that really sort of means. And I'll hand over to Leone so she can introduce herself and give us a bit of a background. Sure. Thanks, David, and thanks uh, for the invite to the Near Future podcast. So my name is Leonie Kelly. I'm head of ESG and Impact Services here at OGA, uh, which is quite a new uh, business for OGA Global Limited. Um, so I joined the firm based out of Hong Kong uh, back in November. Um, of last year to really help set up a new advisory business supporting our clients uh, both locally in Asia and overseas to really think about how do you go about as an asset manager, as a private equity fund or a family office or foundation, think about environmental social governance factors, how they're affecting your portfolios. Um, and also importantly, think about impact performance um, and how do I integrate that, manage it and, and measure it um, so that I can help understand the portfolio implication of impact um, where I'm allocating my assets, perhaps as a family office um, and the actual on the ground social environmental outcome that those uh, that capital is, is creating in society. Uh, but my background, I've spent the past 13 years or so in broadly sustainable finance, I would say. Um, I've, I've come from working in investment banking, starting out in Citigroup, uh, moving on to the consulting side back in Deloitte uh, in 2010, supporting, think about also ESG integration, uh, but within the European markets back then, then moving on to London Zoo, as you do, uh, thinking about how do you apply uh, innovative capital financing solutions to solve um, really conservation issues and challenges that we had in terms of species management and protection. And then moving out here to Asia almost five years ago, um, supporting a local family office, set up a new network for private investors who were focused on impact called Sustainable Finance Initiative. And then recently, as I say, joining OGA. I mean, this it's a it's a fascinating journey in that sense. But this this crossover, because we've often had the conversation, and I've had the conversation with quite a few others here um, on the Near Future podcast about this hybrid sort of concept that we're moving into this sort of hybrid economy where the public sector is not the public sector anymore, the private sector, the civic sector, it's all sort of merging and responsibilities are really flowing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it needs really sort of a, a hybrid background. Mm-hmm. And, and that you definitely have. I mean, the London Zoo um, and then coming across. I mean, how has that transition been for you? Sure. I would say um, the transition, and many people ask me this, was it intentional? I think the common 
thread throughout this is just following really my passion and broadly working in sustainability. Um, and for me, the impact investing industry, you know, didn't even really exist as a term 13 years ago when I started out. Um, so I think it, it gradually became something that fit around the, the areas that I was interested in and, and passionate about. But um, I often describe a hybrid is a good word. I often describe my CV a bit like a social impact bond <laughs> because uh, I needed to and I wanted to really understand really the common thread here is capital with conscience and how do you either as a consultant uh, support your clients who may be asset managers or financial institutions allocate that capital. But for me, I needed to understand not only how do you allocate it and measure ESG or impact performance, but what are the actual grassroots issues, social challenges that we're trying to solve for? What is the environmental failure, the conservation failure, whatever it is that we're trying to alleviate and overcome? Um, so for me, that's why I also wanted to really get an understanding and grips on how does this apply in the, the charity world of social enterprises? So I became a lot closer to that during my time uh, back in Deloitte and was lucky enough um, to be afforded the opportunity to move into London Zoo to help create um, a Rhino Impact Bond. So for me, I describe mm -hmm. it as a social impact bond in terms of my CV because we really needed to understand also how could capital be used for good and move away from just philanthropy and moving towards more impact investing and um, conservation was you know, it is an, a challenge in terms of species protection and management and um, we could see an opportunity there to really think beyond the current funding models that a charity is working around to leverage off this new form of impact investing so that hybrid um, experience from working on the client side and then going into charities I think uh, was really beneficial I think okay. throughout that time, it also became clear that I really wanted to understand the, the private investor mindset, what triggers you to invest in certain issues or challenges. Um, you know, what is the private investor risk return impact profile? And that's what brought me then to moving into trying to understand really the private investor perspective as well. Well, what has that transition been when you talked about sustainability in 2010? Sure. And um, and what the approach to wealth management at that time is to mm -hmm. now, to today, mm -hmm. and looking a bit forward. What has been that key difference? Yeah, I think, um, and again, this is different across markets, um, but certainly from where I sit now in, in Asia, if we speak around that, I think the transition that I have seen is much more an understanding that perhaps, you know, you can do good and do well um, simultaneously. Um, and that is really uh, showcase through impact investing. So I think there is a, a higher percentage of investors now willing to look at impact investments um, and to move beyond just philanthropy and donations um, to thinking about how can we also do impact investing? How does this fit inside my investment portfolio? Um, and take a more total portfolio approach across um, different asset class strategies that they're already investing in. Um, so I think that's been certainly a transition. We're moving beyond philanthropy and perhaps understanding the, the, the benefit um, of impact capital and how that can sit alongside traditional philanthropy at the same time. 
Um, so that's certainly one of the developments I've seen in the past five years or so out here in, in Asia. And that has been driven by really, I believe, a growing millennial appetite uh, to do good and do well and to 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 not just take the models and um, that we've been given from the financial world but to question those models and the instruments and how do we repurpose those um to fit our environmental goals or social goals that we're trying to change and um, so i think that's been a big uh, transition over the past uh you know five years or so do, do you do do you see a regional difference between the preparedness or the ability to do this mind shift, let's say between Europe and North America and Asia, mm -hmm. are you seeing it easier to sort of get into the conversation of sustainable capital or green capital, however they want to frame it here? Sure. Um, perhaps easier is, 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 is a <laughs> or, or, not or the right more, word. If we take it or from, open to the concept. Sure. I, I think the, um, in how we look at it, and certainly the work that we were doing in Sustainable Finance Initiative, it's very important to start from the perspective of regional characteristics and nuances, right? And understanding that investor uh, motivation and behavior is very different um, across regions, even in Asia um, versus international. Um, so I think that is something to, you know, to bear in mind when we answer this question of has it been easier to allocate capital into impact in Asia versus the US or Europe? Um, I think it's also perhaps been somewhat challenging to actually uh, isolate what has been impact versus what hasn't. Um, I think this is something that as an industry we're grappling with and we are moving towards a more, a greater consensus, I think, on what we call impact. Um, at least we're moving towards greater consensus on how do we identify greenwash um, and moving perhaps more to better understanding of, well, these are the principles of which impact investments should, should uh, actually stand for. So I think that's helped us also understand the market in general. Um, but you only have to look at the Global Impact Investing Network and their annual investor survey to see the statistics in terms of capital flow and impact. Um, and, if we, if we take that as the benchmark of, of, of who's the most active in impact investing versus you know, who has the greatest ability perhaps to change and shift further capital, I, I, that's two different um, jurisdictions or regions, I think. I think Asia has a huge ability to shift and leapfrog uh, with regards to allocating additional capital into impact. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Um, and certainly with the growth of new impact venture funds coming out here in Asia, um, I think that's something that's you know really positive to see in the market and to see that moment momentum over time here. Do you, you think eventually Asia will be a leader in sort of this concept of impact investing? Sure. Um, I think you know if I take a more holistic approach to this, I, I think we don't want one jurisdiction to be the leader, right? Um, at the end of the day, we're trying to deliver on the sustainable development goals. And I think what's key um, and why I'm personally committed to impact as well is that impact does allow collaboration and collaboration is key in this industry. And um, we need in Asia to learn from international best practices that have worked, but also those that have failed in order to, to transition capital at a faster rate. So whether or not it becomes the leader, I think, is perhaps the wrong question. It's how do we actually work together with other regions and economies that have managed to achieve change um, to change the social or environmental challenges that we see here in Hong Kong or Singapore, or Indonesia, Thailand, wherever it is we're based. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, the number of standards, increased regulation, that's certainly increasing um, in 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, from where I sit here in OGA, uh, we're also working obviously on the ESG side of things and Asia and the number of different regulations. Do, do you think a standardization, I mean, I thought, I, I remember, well, now six, seven years um, sure. when GIN and the other organizations that were really sort of pushing around impact investing and some sort of standard ways of measuring impact. Do you think the sector needs a global standard? I think I, I get this question uh, weekly. I think the, I don't think one standard will fit all, um, quite honestly. And I, I think we, if, you know, as investors, we also need to understand what is our own risk return impact profile that I'm seeking to deliver or change. Um, I think the impact standards, um, they are, critical and important, but I think they also need to enable regional characteristics to shine through as well. Um, I think if we focus mainly on perhaps beyond ESG, because perhaps that's where we've also seen the most regulation happen in the market today, less so on impact investing. Um, is there impact specific legislation, at least that I've seen yet here in Asia? So on the impact side, I think transparency and accountability is, is key. Um, so I think the combination of improved standards and increased scrutiny is leading really to that area, era of accountability for investors that are laying the claim to the impact label. Um, so I think in terms of frameworks and tools, perhaps they're not standards, but impact reporting investment standards, IRIS, the Sustainable Development Goals, the Impact Management Project, they've certainly helped build, I think, a global consensus on how to classify, characterize, and measure impact. So I think those are critical uh, for impact investing. And certainly when we go to diligence or due diligence impact funds uh, coming into the market, they are critical labels and frameworks to help us understand the intentionality um, of these funds, which again is key in impact investing because that's the additionality effect that we're looking to drive from adding capital into these issues. So if we can't measure it, we can't manage it, right? So that's the, the age old criticism then that we need to have some sort of level of, of transparency. And I think we're starting to see that more and more um, in terms of the impact ventures and funds that I've seen uh, come through the door in 2020, certainly seeing an increased number aligned to the SDGs, an increased number aligned to the impact management project, an increased number align or try and um, isolate what IRIS metrics they are reporting against. And what this has done is created a consistency in language for how we conduct diligence and look across the universe of different products coming into the market. And that's what we do need to see in terms of standardization and, and impact. But it will be driven by investor values, right? And I think it's very important as within ESG that investors really understand well, what do these standards stand for? Are they aligned with my own investment appetite? Um, and to question those as well. Well, yeah, because the relationship between impact, however you want to define it, yeah. and risk is important exactly. and and that's what i think some of the, some of the, some of the the issues that are being brought to light nowadays this concept of greenwashing as we we're saying so verification how exactly. do you verify the reporting that's actually mm -hmm. been done with impact and mm -hmm. it's something that we're trying to do inside our organization but it's also 
when I'm talking to a lot of even founders and startups mm -hmm. um, and from the technology side, when they're claiming to have a decarbonization or they're using the different metrics, mm -hmm. how do you verify that? And um, they're actually coming up with some fairly good answers. And the question I've always got is now, how do we do that from a portfolio perspective? How do I, how do I compare, contrast compare with one of my investments in the portfolio to another investment in the portfolio as far as impact? And how do I do that comparative? Yeah, well, I think um, if we zoom out of impact and maybe talk about sustainability, that's perhaps where we're seeing, certainly on carbon reporting, climate reporting, perhaps greater consensus. Because I think the biggest recognition in the market today is that climate risk is financial risk. Um, so therefore we've started to see uh, different leading institutions that set the frameworks for sustainability, trying to help us account for those and to verify around that. IF4S, for example, and the latest developments that they're uh, that are underway really to help classify and characterize and measure um, sustainability impact to align uh, sustainability and integrated uh, reporting uh, standards, for example. And we've also seen, again, the work of TCFD, the task force and the climate related financial disclosures. So I think when we look at sustainability holistically, that's where we've probably seen consensus on what it is we're, we're seeking to um, report against um, and how to verify that. And now in the impact industry, I think we're, it's, it's at a slightly different stage of development, I would say. Um, I think as companies and asset managers have started to align with best practices and those being the likes of IRIS, uh, GEARS, the SDGs, um, you know, even in itself, the SDG has released the Sustainable Development Goal impact label um, to try and help the impact market understand well, what is impact if I'm calling my fund aligned to meeting XYZ Sustainable Development Goal? What are the expectations from the UN in terms of delivering on that and coming up with the impact logo, which is really the due diligence investment kit um, to understand an X-ray? Uh, those funds, I would say. I think we've started to see a lot more of that coming into the market in 2020. And also the operating principles for impact measurement, for example, um, you know, released by the IFC and different um, impact funds, impact ventures starting to get independent assurance, um, actually, and impact auditing um, over their non-financial performance aligned to these different standards. So that's something and a trend uh, that I started to see. And even, you know, when I was working, it's nearly eight years ago at <laughs> this time back in, back in consulting, you know, we were working with um, asset managers back then who were looking to align with IRIS and to be, for example, the first to report a non-financial um, assurance statement against their impact metrics. Um, and I think that's starting to increase. Um, but it's increasing because increasingly LPs are starting to demand that transparency and accountability. And I think are also becoming more sophisticated with the lens of how they look at uh, different funds and products and how they screen those. Um, so that's certainly started to, I think, increase in momentum in here in Asia as well. What, what do you think the key driver is toward this? Is shareholder values actually shifting in a lot of ways, the, those that are managing wealth, are, they, are, that, are their values actually shifting in certain ways or is it the threat of regulation mm -hmm. or consumer sure. behavior shifting? Yeah, I think it's all of those. 
yeah, I think it is very much uh, threefold. Um, you know, I think investor values or, as I said earlier, recognizing that climate risk is financial risk. So I think, um, you know, some are coming at it from the risk conversation and trying to understand what is the impact um, of this risk on my portfolio of assets for example, around stranded assets and how do I understand that? How do I understand that this company is managing um, those environmental social risks um, that I am looking to invest in? So I think that is certainly one driver. I think increasingly, as I said, LPs um, are starting to demand greater information and transparency. Um, I, that has been certainly a significant driver and also regulation. Um, regulation more so on the ESG market. I would say in ESG investing, um, certainly as the world has started to gather around climate risk reporting, TCFD, um, that has something that has certainly driven um, market uh, demand to respond to and manage um, risk, I would say, in ESG. And the key thing is not just responding. What I've observed, I think, in the past 13 years is that we're now managing we're managing that risk. So even the developments that you've seen by the likes of Principle for Responsible Investment, which obviously has you know, a significant amount of signatories that are aligned to the PRI principles around responsible investment has moved from um, you know, thinking about, well, yes, you can have a policy around ESG and the different you know, strategies that you're implementing in that firm uh, to manage ESG. But now what we also want you to start thinking about is how do you integrate ESG factors uh, into the business or into the operations of your portfolio? It's no longer good enough to have a policy. How do you take that policy and integrate it into the decisions of the firm um, and to the decisions of where you invest or don't invest? So I think we're moving towards a period of, of management uh, rather than just kind of it being a, a nice to have because we've recognized it as a risk um, in our portfolios, I think, um, or whether it's coming from, you know, managing uh, increased investor expectations um, or whether it's a recognition that this is actually, um, you know, risk that needs to be managed uh, in my portfolio. So I think there, each asset class is, a, is at certainly a different stage. But the other thing that I also think about, it's not just by asset class, the strategies that we're using broadly in sustainable investing are all at different stages, right? Um, and the biggest perhaps um, strategy that's used today is um, ESG integration, right? Um, so impact investing certainly hasn't taken over ESG integration and one doesn't cannibalize the other. I think that's really important to, to remember that we can be as investors active across these numerous sustainable investing strategies like ESG integration. We can apply a negative screen and we can also be doing impact investing. So I think uh, all are needed if we're going to achieve this, you know, the greater goal of if it is the sustainable development goals or achieving our country, you know, uh, performance targets around carbon, for example. So I think it's, in each region, um, there are obviously differences in, in which asset class are overtaking the other. Um, but, you know, today we see a certainly increased issuance of funds um, in Asia, but we're also seeing increased uh, issuance of green bonds, as I say, um, in the market. And also perhaps a lot more um, regulation coming through on, on how do we classify 
light green from green. We've also seen the development in the EU of the sustainable finance disclosure regulations. And that has um, obviously put forward and is now in effect since March, helping all financial market participants really understand the differences and nuances or what it is to call yourself light green or dark green um, and the different requirements and that now uh, regulators expect um, of the investment industry. So I think these are things that, you know, we in any market development or any new industry, which to me, ESG is still a developing industry, will always be developing. So we're developing the system standards, the regs, the protocols to help us really move forward this industry. So we need all asset classes to, to go there, I would say. Um, but to realize that technology is an enabler and ESG uh, is also an enabler to achieving uh, potential financial performance as well. Let me, let me change track here a little bit. Uh, as you know, I was, uh, just, I was giving an undergrad course on um, sustainable public policy. And unfortunately, I couldn't drag you into this semester because there was so much. Sure. Um, the class, I mean, this this is at a school of integrated innovation. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bachelor's program, second year bachelor's program, a brand new program. Mm -hmm. And their other courses were artificial intelligence, climate tech, these types of things. And then there was this sustainable public governance. And and a lot of the kids were crowding into this class because they and and it was it proved to be a very a lot of the basic discussions mm -hmm. were being discussed. But how does this you know in light of people that are really interested in this area and mm -hmm. you have actually a position at a company you're getting paid to do this? I mean, what is what is what is the impact for you personally? What what is some of the challenges that um, that you're facing on a day to day basis? Big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I with, would with, say, with, without getting too deep, but if but if, if yeah. some of the students are interested in really sure, sort of following sure. a career down this pathway, yeah. I mean, what's the interesting and challenging things? Yeah. Well, look, I think um, what's interesting is if 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 your goal is to work in an industry focused on sustainability, right? Um, and I think it's key to understand that you can affect change in the sustainability market in many different um, positions. It could be on the policy side, it could be within government, it could be within a not-for-profit, um, more grassroots initiatives, for example, um, or it could be on the investor side within asset management firm, um, or it could be within a family office. I think it's to understand first where and what is it that you wanna change as an individual um, and then understanding, you know, which part of that system um, are you closely aligned to um, or that you're personally passionate about changing. Um, so I think in terms of what are the big, the big challenges, I think that ESG is constantly evolving. And one thing I, I, I do say to individuals that I mentor is that it, it is okay to be uncomfortable um, I think if you're not uncomfortable, you're not changing something. Um, so no position I've ever had has been comfortable, right? Um, mm. But you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> That's how I feel uh, with ESG because we are moving in a market where every day there's a new opinion on ESG. Every day there's a new opinion on, you know, standards, regulations. Should we set the standard? Um 
that's okay. This is the environment um, around us and the, the, the systems and the infrastructure um, that we need in this ecosystem to drive forward that big thing that you're trying to change as an individual, which is sustainability. Um, so I think it, the challenge is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I had, I, I've had people say to me that they love to hate their job. And in that, in that sense, a challenge is important. And yeah. I, I would think that ESG impact, however you want to look at that, it's still a small part of the business. Mm. There's still a lot of people to convince yeah. um, and a lot of shifting. That means that a, a, an incredible amount mm. of wealth, investment wealth will be shifting mm. over and that needs to be managed at some point, at least yeah. to be advised at some point on that. So it's it's very much a growing sector. And I agree with you. I mean, impact is not going away. It's just a matter of now, yeah. as we start to look forward, especially again, when these new technologies come in, is that going to be a threat to some of the impact? Certainly when you talk about inclusiveness or mm -hmm. equity, mm -hmm. um, that that all people sort of get to enjoy uh, mm -hmm. or leverage positively some of these, some of these technologies. Um, and then the bigger, obviously the bigger gambits like climate and some of these large scale complex issues and that. Um, but it is very much, very much a growing sector. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think uh, I always say ESG affects everything, right? It affects us as individuals, um, you know, in, in how we, we purchase certain products or we don't. Um, you know, even when we go into a supermarket, we have to, as individuals, start to ask these questions of ourselves. I believe if you're applying your own personal belief barometer into the day job that you do, and um, that's personally important for me to align. Um, so I think that's something that I've also seen, you know, and when I speak at different um, graduate, uh, you know, courses, um, you know, certainly around the world is that recognition that, you know, question everything. Um, and if sustainability is your passion, there's many different facets to sustainability. Um, and for me, it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be working on a Rhino Impact Bond. You know, some people are, you know, did you know this? Did you plan it? No, never knew, right? Yeah. But you have to, <laughs> there's no psychic element at all to this. But it's following really where and questioning where can I add value today in this market at the point of which it is today, right? And the big triggers in the market today and the big questions that we're asking and impact in ESG is legal, right? Hence, I'm in a, a law firm where I believe there are now going to be legal implications of ESG or the inability to move and act on ESG. Um, so for me, I personally always try to understand where is the market today and what are the things that are changing where I could add value. It could also be on the data side, right? Like big data mm -hmm. is the big question and transparency around that. Our methodologies of how we account uh, for ESG or, or how we don't, um, you know, are are also under question. Um, how do we rate companies, the rating methodologies? So that's a big question in 2021. Um, you know, and if you are somebody who's, you know, very good at that side of things, it's also an element within sustainability uh, that you can apply. So I think that's important to understand the market where it is today at the point in which you're, you're making a move in your career uh, needs to also be considered. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a big, there's a big redefinition of the social contract that is going on right now and uh, the responsibility of those governing and the responsibility of those being governed sure. to speak to speak up and keep that balance policy is off 
is, is it can keep a balance between mm -hmm. sort of the, the private sector and the civic sector, the social concerns and the private concerns, business concerns, and how to balance that type of thing. So I think there is going to be a very huge interest. As we're, as we're getting, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. So um, I'll leave you with the, the big last statement. First of all, I just want to thank you for coming on board. Um, we've known each other for a long time. It's always been an interesting conversation. And I would imagine we're moving into an area um, over the near future that is going to get beyond interesting. It's going to become fascinating mm -hmm. on, on how things are going to turn out. The, not only the rapid change, mm -hmm. but also the ability um, of a lot of the generations now to adapt and who are taking this on mm -hmm. and this rising momentum yeah. um, that is really going to start driving a lot of things. And hopefully, uh, I mean, my concern personally is that a lot of the new technologies can actually be leveraged in this direction mm -hmm. um, and push towards, you know, cost efficiencies or supply chain efficiencies, these mm -hmm. types of things, but also create that positive impact uh, for social well-being. But I'll leave the final statement up to you, Leone. Thank you very much. What do you got to say? Sure, I would say um, for impact to continue to grow, I think we need to see, you know, I do believe we need to still question um, the products that we have on the market today. I think we need to improve the lens with which we're looking um, at this universe by, you know, uh, putting increased accountability on you know, the, the different products that are coming into the market. Um, I think we, as I say, need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, even for investors in ESG. Um, we have to really dig deeper um, than just taking simple solutions around data and metrics and scoring to question those and to questioning, do those align with our investor belief statements? Do those align with our own risk return profiles um, I, I think these are the questions that um, certainly in 2021 we're working a lot more with investors around these parameters because as I say we've moved towards the management era of ESG and impact mm -hmm. and that throws up a whole different game of questions um, than just about reporting um, so I think this is the, the key thing that we're watching and trying to help the market also really enhance and improve on that as well well, I tell you that that in itself is an inspiration, and it's re it's really phenomenal some of the stuff that you've done, and um, and I wish you all the best on where you're going, and um, you, I'll, I'll be looking over your shoulder. <laughs> we'll be watching yours as well. Don't worry. <laughs> but thank you, and thank you for inviting OJ onto the uh, the near future podcast. Not a problem. Not a problem. It's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Texas Global, sparking innovative thoughts. The Near Future Podcast, in partnership with Texas and SDGX.